Hello, right, so welcome to, um, what's the name of our podcast again? Barely Legal, that's it, keep wanting to call it Monday or Law, but that doesn't exist anymore. So, um, yeah, so it's just me today, Chris, because um, our friend and colleague, Alex Boardman, very selfishly is moving house this week, so um, we've not been able to get together to record an episode, so, uh, so it's just me, um, I'm afraid. Uh, so uh, strap in for some uh, thoughts from my brain. Um, about um, so I want to talk about the um, government's ongoing issues with uh, well the government has a lot of issues with a lot of things really doesn't it um, thinking critically uh, seemingly being one of them and planning and so on and so forth but um, specifically their um, Rwanda plan um, that's come into uh, some focus this week because of various legal challenges to uh, the plans who send effectively asylum seekers to Rwanda to have their asylum claims processed there. Um, uh, so I'm going to quickly um, talk about that um, and, and look at some of the uh, legalities and, and issues um, surrounding that because obviously it's a hot topic for discussion and based on what I've seen on social media, uh, not a lot of people know much about it and yet uh, are very keen to um, tell everyone how little they know. Um, yeah, so in terms of the Rwanda plan itself, I, I, I'll, to get to basics, um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the UK government announced on the 14th of April of this year, um, 2022, um, that they had basically basically reached a bilateral agreement with Rwanda um, to send some uh, of the people claiming asylum in the UK uh, to Rwanda um, in order to have their asylum claims dealt with there. So this isn't an issue of, of them sending them there following um, consideration or, or, or whatever. It's literally they will have their... Before they've been considered in the UK, they will be considered in, in Rwanda. And if they're successful um, to in their asylum claim, they will be granted asylum and become refugees in Rwanda, not in the UK. Now, uh, obviously that seems like a bit of a strange scheme, but we're based on um, the sort of offshoring of, of immigration that Australia does. Uh, we, in this country, we've had a fascination for a number of years with the Australian immigration system, um, and uh, this appears to be in line with that sort of thinking. Now, there's a few issues that are, that are worth pointing out here. First of all is that this isn't actually... Um, a, a, an act of parliament that, that's been brought through. It's not really got anything to do with the borders and uh, an immigration bill that's that's due to come into force soon. Um, it, it's a memorandum of understanding between Rwanda and the UK, um, and it's entire. It's not been put through parliament. Therefore, it's entirely uh, a decision that's been made by the uh, by the executive by the government, um, and. Um, has has started basically. You know, the, there's there's been a, a a flight that should have taken off um, yesterday. I'm recording this the day after the on the fifteenth of June. So this is the day after the flight was due to have taken off. Um, but there was obviously some legal challenges to that, which we'll come on to talk about um, uh, in due course. Now, one of the interesting things I find about this is that because it's not been through Parliament, there's been no sort of discussion about this this. Um, uh, this this decision or this scheme um, and um, as such really the only point the first point in which it's going to be challenged um, is in the courts um, and so there's there's a wider issue here really that goes beyond the, the scheme itself as to as to the rule of law um, and the rule of law obviously is is that the law has to apply equally to everybody and it has to be transparent um, and there are some challenges here with this particular scheme uh, that uh, that calls all of that into question um, and you know, 
asylum seekers as, as subject to the rule of law as well, or at least they should be. They're not second-class citizens, although there is some discussion that the Borders Bill will effectively make them that, uh, which has obviously got to be worrying for anyone who, who believes in democracy and fairness and um, justice and all of those um, lofty principles uh, that we should be governed by. Um, now, asylum seeker, obviously, is someone who's seeking asylum. Uh, the clues in the title, it's like the... Uh, the Runsill quick dry and wood stain of, of, of terms. Um, all that being the case, lots of people don't seem to understand the difference between that and refugee and migrant and illegal immigrant and so on and so forth. Uh, basically, if you are uh, if you are seeking asylum, you are an asylum seeker. You can uh, and at the point that you arrive in a country and say, "I seek asylum in your country from um, effectively uh, from because it's too unsafe for me to remain in my own country because of war or persecution or or whatever." Um, and then at that point, you're an asylum seeker, and that is a legally defined uh, position uh, for you to be in, legally defined term or state of being. Um, you hear the term, for example, from the government, sometimes you hear them say illegal asylum seekers. Now, there's no such thing as an illegal asylum seeker. Um, asylum seeker is an asylum seeker is an asylum seeker until such time that their claim for asylum has been considered by the nation in which they are seeking asylum. Um if they're successful in their, their claim for asylum, then they'll be uh, granted asylum and will become a refugee at that point uh, and able to stay under various un, under the legislation of that country um, until um, it's safe to return to, the, to their own country. Um, so, so that's what an asylum seeker actually is. Um, if their application for asylum is refused because they don't meet the criteria, at that point they can be returned to their um, country of origin um, because the, the host country has deemed them not to... Uh, be sufficiently at risk of whatever they were claiming asylum from in their original country. Um, so, so that's what this. So, what the government wanted to do, though, is basically put all of that over to Rwanda. They want to say to people that have come to the UK to claim asylum, um, we're going to put you on a plane, send you to Rwanda, and Rwanda are going to assess your um, eligibility for asylum. Um, now, as I say, that brings into question some issues to do with the rule of law. Um, so, for example, on what basis? This is something I find interesting. There's not been, I can't find any guidance on what basis someone will be um, selected to go to Rwanda and someone won't. Um, it appears to be the Home Office will tell us, well, just trust us, everything will be fine. But the Home Office has, you know, quite a long um, history of effectively doing things um, badly um, or discriminatorily. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not quite sure that I would take. Um, the word of you know of, of the Home Office to be anything beyond just empty rhetoric, to be quite frank. Um, you know, if you look at what happened in the Windrush scandal, you know there were people there that were perfectly legally allowed to be in the UK, um, and yet they found themselves detained and in some cases removed back to Jamaica or other Caribbean countries that they hadn't been to since they were five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, sometimes people were detained on the basis that there'd been a spelling mistake and on the form in the Home Office itself, uh, and they'd found themselves effectively, so within their names, on their, their name was spelt wrong, it was the name, should be the name of someone else, um, and they um, suddenly found themselves subject to interference uh, from immigration um, officers, which, which shouldn't have been the case. So I think without the, you know, so the issue that, I mean, even the Law Society have commented on this point, um, that, that basically um, th this is, the, you know, there are concerns that how this scheme is being managed is going to call into question the rule of law. Um, and without clear rules, it's the base of selection and so on and so forth. Um, there's, there's, there's a real risk that the rule of law is going to be um, undermined here. There's also been some, um, <clears throat> some claims from, 
immigration practitioners that people haven't had proper access to legal advice before they've received notice of intention to send them to Rwanda. Um, and that puts, you know, that makes everything time critical at that point because once the notice has been issued, there isn't a time limit on, on, on you know, that there's effectively a flight you're going to be put onto. And until you can, um, and, and, and unless you can make a last minute application to the courts to effectively get you um, off that flight, uh, then um, then that's it. You'll be disappeared because the, the reality is, once someone gets sent off to Rwanda, realistically, is there's no going back for them unless they somehow manage to um, seek. <laughs> but I suppose there is the, the potential that they could seek um, they, they could seek asylum from Rwanda itself uh, somewhere else. But uh, that that remains to be seen. Now, in terms of the legality of the scheme itself, um, which. Uh, is open to, to question because the you know, basically the UN Refugee Council, the UNHCR, um, have issued some guidance or some comments um, as to as to their views on this. Now, the UNHCR believes that the um, announced sort of scheme um, effectively what it does is externalizes the UK's obligations to towards people that seek asylum in the country. So, subject to the 1951 Convention relating to the status of refugees, which I'm just going to call the Convention from, from here on in, or the 1951 Convention. Now, what that does, that sets out obligations that a country has. It basically confers rights on a refugee, and in particular makes provisions for um, what non-refoulement, which um, basically is not to return a refugee to a dangerous country. Now, until someone's had their asylum claim assessed, um, that that right extends to those people as well. So someone claiming asylum can't just be turfed off, in essence, um, to uh, to a dangerous country. Now, there is a concern that Rwanda isn't necessarily a safe country for, for anyone there, and it depends on the nature of someone's um, asylum claim, the basis on which they say they're being persecuted, um, or on which they say they can't return to their own country. It may well be that they would suffer the same um, risks in Rwanda. Um, it's worth considering that um, Rwanda itself, we have, as a country, we have people seeking asylum from Rwanda. Um, and I think in the last calendar year, um, the percentage of people whose asylum claims uh, from Rwanda was 100, was successful, was 100%. So literally every single person who claimed asylum from Rwanda in the UK in the last 12 months, um, all of them were granted asylum and are refugees from there. So it's difficult to say that Rwanda is definitely safe for these refugees. Doesn't mean it will definitely be dangerous, but um, until it's until it's tested, it, it, it's it's a difficult position to say. I've seen one or two people say that you know Rwanda um, is a perfectly fine country. I went on holiday there and blah blah blah. I mean, it's like well, I'm fairly certain that you know refugees aren't going to be off on excursions to see the gorillas in the mountains. You know, different countries, have, you know, you know, countries have different. Um, conditions for different people depending on your legal status and your economic status. So lots of the arguments in favour of sending people to Rwanda um, is, is, is ludicrous um, as, far as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned. Now what's interesting about the convention is the convention does allow for bilateral agreements for dealing with asylum seekers but uh, on the basis that it should be uh, that it shares burden and responsibility in international cooperation. So you know realistically it's about countries that are next door to war zones, allowing them to, to effectively sh spread the load, as it were. Um, and what it doesn't do is it doesn't remove your obligations. So if you send your asylum seekers to another country, you as the host, you as the sending country, you still have your legal obligations to those asylum seekers. You have to ensure that they are being treated 
um, fairly uh, and in line with international um, human rights legislation. Um, so what it can't be, effectively, is washing your hands of, of people. Um, and what the, what the UNHCR um, believe is that the, the agreement reached between um, the UK and Rwanda doesn't actually allow for international cooperation. It isn't about sharing the load. It is about actually shifting the burden because... Um, and this is this is the, the key point, really, is that the vast majority of refugees um, are actually in uh, developing nations. They're effectively in the nations next door or next door but once to where the issues are. You know, people don't have, most people don't have the means to travel long distances. You know, most people I know wouldn't be able to get much further um, than, like, the next town along, to be honest with you, with their own... <laughs> Where you know if, if if they lost all of their possessions and and were in a desperate situations, so you know it's not the case that there is this as is often claimed. Effectively, a huge stream of, of refugees and migrants making their way from the developing world to the developed world uh, because most people want to stay in the place they're from. They want to be able to stay at home. They want to go back home. Um, you know, so they move next door and end up in refugee camps sometimes for years and years and years. Um, so. Uh, because the developing world has the vast majority of refugees and Rwanda is a developing nation, um, it can't be seen as be, being sharing the world because effectively what the UK is doing, the UK is a developed nation that has the resources to be able to look after these people if it wanted to do so, if the political will was there, the idea that there isn't, um, there isn't the sort of like the, the capacity to, to deal with um, refugees is nonsense. Um, because there is a relatively small number of refugees come to the UK. Um, we'll get the actual figures up um, now. Uh, so in the last 12 months, there were 55,146 asylum applications made uh, in the UK, um, which is a, a tiny proportion of new arrivals um, in the UK. And I think something like, something like 0.6% of the population uh, in total um, of the UK uh, were classed as refugees or asylum seekers. So the idea that there is some sort of, you know, the word that sort of, um, let's call them what they are, give them a name, racist, the, 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 the term that racists use of being flooded or inundated uh, with refugees is simply not happening. The vast majority stay in developing nations, very few make it to Europe, fewer still make it to the UK. Um, so, you know, the, the, so the reason that the UNHCR uh, believes that it's potentially unlawful, this thing, is that effectively it doesn't fall within the guidance that they set out. It doesn't um it doesn't allow for um it doesn't it doesn't allow for international cooperation. It is literally the UK shifting their burden and putting it on a developing nation who may not be able to cope, and this is the key point. The UK could easily cope if it wanted to do so, but Rwanda may not be able to cope. It may be able to cope in the long run, but it's less likely to be able to cope. Uh, and therefore, that puts the individuals, and that's, this is the issue, there's people at the heart of this, that puts them um, at risk um, of, you know, of, of further persecution or, or suffering, which is not what, you know, anyone should be should be advocating for, in my view. Um, so, there is this scheme that's potentially unlawful, um, and the reason that the government gives for the scheme, and the reason they say it's necessary, is that it will combat these trafficking gangs, um, and you see reference to this quite often, like about people trafficking and people smuggling. Um, those two terms are used interchangeably in the same way that people use asylum seeker, refugee, migrant, illegal immigrant, so on and so forth, interchangeably, as though they're all the same thing when they're not. Um, so trafficking and smuggling have two different definitions. So, um, And it's important to note, to note the definition here, um, albeit um, 
you know, not, neither of them are, are laudable groups of people. Um, so, a per, so smuggling is literally about moving someone over a border. People smuggling is about moving someone across a border unlawfully. Effectively, um, give me some money. I'll hide you in the back of my van. I'll drive you over the border. Then you can get out. And then that's it. Our relationship is, our relationship is over on completion of the journey. So it's literally about smuggling, you know, getting a person into a country without being detected without going through official channels, without showing a passport and so on. Um, and that's what smuggling is. Uh, trafficking is moving someone from one location to another, and at the end of that, that person is exploited. So people can be trafficked into the UK. People can be moved into the UK sort of, you know, probably like lawfully through borders, but they're exploited um, at the other end of that. So, um, for example, you see a lot of it with like nail bars and eyebrow bars with uh, people from young women from Vietnam who have made promises about coming to the UK uh, to start a new life. They pay a fee to someone who will effectively move them from the UK, from Vietnam into the UK, but then force them. They're in sort of effectively indentured sort of servitude to work in these salons. Um, they often live there as well and they have no freedom. So they're exploited at the other end. Now, what the government try and argue is that what they're trying what they're trying to do with this policy is effectively um, remove the hinder or, or interfere with the business model of people smugglers and traffickers. Now I'm going to call that what it is, which is fanciful or I'm not in court now, so um, bollocks. That's what I would say. That line of argument is um, basically are traffickers or are smugglers going to care that what might happen at the end traffickers maybe more so because they need to exploit people but the idea that traffickers only exist in the uk um is which seems to be central to this to a degree um is nonsense all you're going to be doing for traffickers if you're going to be moving people somewhere else is effectively creating new markets because if someone gets to rwanda and effectively they're in no better position than they were than when they left their whole their home country then the chances are they're going to seek to to leave there as well. And traffickers will will sort of you know will be aware of this, and they will soon move their operations um, to somewhere else. They may well try and get them back to the UK at some point because they they, they can exploit them more readily here because this is where the, this is where money is. Um, so the idea it's going to solve that is nonsense. The idea it's going to stop smuggling is is even more fanciful because. Um, or even bigger bollocks, should I say, because, you know, um, realistically, smugglers aren't going to tell the people that they're smuggling into the country that they may well be removed to Rwanda when they get there. They don't care. They, once they've got them into the country, their, their obligation to them is done, if they have an obligation. They're literally in it for the money. Um, and, you know, is it is it realistic that people effectively caught in this situation where they've where they're desperate they've left their own country they're moving from one place to another they're paying money to people in order to move them um are they going to be abreast of what there's sort of what the legislation and what the legal situation is in the uk i would suggest not these people aren't going to be reading you know the, the times or, or whatever to, to keep on top of things uh there'll be the, some of them may find out about it through word of mouth but realistically people end up where they end up you know it's, it's i don't think there is this huge well thought out plan about where where you end up. You, I think you often find you you move from one stage to the next. That's what seems to be the stories that the refugees tell you. You know, I, I move from somewhere. They don't have a great deal of control over where they end up. The idea that smugglers are going to be put off because um, the life for the people they're smuggling in isn't what they envisage at their end is absolute nonsense. So there's 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 no way it's going to have that impact. And you know, I'm going to call 
sort of bullshit on the part of the government here because they are just using that line because it's an easy comeback because anybody who then challenges their dis their their scheme and says that they disagree with it they can say oh right so you want to support the smuggling gangs do you or the traffickers or whatever are the bogeymen in this situation um so you know it, it's 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 not it, it's well, it is what it is. It's nonsense, I've said. You know, so I don't buy that argument at all. So where we are now, though, is that there are no, so there are legal challenges. Now, what's happened in the last couple of days is that we've seen a few legal challenges um, to this whole scheme, um, which, um, and there are the, two different types. So there is effectively a blanket challenge to the legality of the scheme itself brought by um, some charity groups. Um, so effectively, they're seeking to judicially review the government um, and um, the scheme to rule that scheme unlawful. They say it's unlawful, and and therefore um, the the government should have to go away and rethink uh, the scheme or, or scrap it altogether. Now that there's a hearing due to take place in July um, in relation to that um, overall, and we'll we'll see what happens with with what the court says there, um, because there will obviously be appeals and so on. No matter which side wins. Uh, one would imagine there will be appeals against that decision because it'll be in the public interest to do so. Now, on Friday of last week, there was effectively like a blanket injunction application um, to say that pending that decision, nobody should be removed from the UK to Rwanda um, because what happens if that scheme is found to be unlawful? You know, you put in effectively border guards and immigration workers um, in a position where they're having to carry out work that may well be deemed to be unlawful at some point in the future and the government shouldn't be doing that. You know, there's that line of argument. There's also the fact what happens to the people at their end. So if, if people are removed to Rwanda between now and July um, and the scheme is ultimately found to be unlawful, what about those people? Are those people going to have to be brought back to the UK? Um, one would say that they probably should be. Um, whether or not that will happen, um, we don't know. So in terms of, again, back to the rule of law element, the law, the law should apply equally and protections should apply to everyone. Um, and um, it's clear that that isn't going to be the case if some people are removed um, under a scheme that's ultimately found to be unlawful that other people therefore can't be removed under. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a mess really. However, what the court said last week, and again, this was... Um, supported by the Court of Appeal on Monday, is that um, it's in the public interest that a government that's elected, and this government was elected in in, a, in an apparently fair um, election, um, that this um, that that a government should be allowed to enact its own policies without it being interfered with. Um, so on, on a blanket scale. So you know that's what the public interest is. There was no ruin as the legality of this of of the of the um, scheme itself um, and I've heard a few people try to say that you know the courts have already ruled it's legal this fight um, they, they've not ruled that it's legal what they, what they have said is that we're not going to interfere at this stage pending the final determination in July now you can have your own views on that personally I think that if there is a legal challenge to, the, to a scheme then that scheme shouldn't be enacted uh, or acted upon um, until um, until it's been decided by the courts as to whether it's legal or not, given that it's not gone through Parliament, um, and given the huge impact that this will have on the individuals. You know, like people are going to have their lives completely changed, the course of their lives completely changed, under something that could ultimately be defined to be unlawful. So that's what I think should happen. However, the court haven't gone down that route, and they've ruled that, that you know, that they're not going to interfere at this point. Um, so, that, so that was Friday and Monday, 
Now, what's happened in the background is, is alongside that is there have been effectively individual applications. So the flight was due to take off um, on the 14th, which, as I'm recording, the 15th was yesterday. Um, it was due to take off at 10.30pm um, from, a, I think, a military airbase in the south of England uh, to Rwanda. There were initially 148 uh, people supposed to be on it. That had been whittled down by Wednesday night to about seven. Um, which shows that you know maybe the decision making and the selection process isn't as um, good as it could be or, or fair, uh, given that the vast, vast majority of people that were supposed to be on that flight had been removed from that flight because courts had been able to issue injunctions. Um, and the vast majority of court the, of the injunctions were issued in the, in England, so it's not like meddling from uh, the European Court of Human Rights. Um, this is on in English law these people were found that it would have been unfair and against their human rights to have put them on that flight. Now, a proper system would surely identify those people. Um, you know, you know, those people wouldn't be on a flight in, in, a, in a proper system that, you know, that, that properly, um, you know, took into account all the relevant considerations. And so, and so we found ourselves, basically, on, uh, at the last minute, there were a, a few people left. Um, and ultimately... Um, each one of those people, they were successful in their appeals to various courts in, the, in England and also uh, in Strasbourg, the European Court of Human Rights, uh, that they shouldn't be, on that, shouldn't be on that flight. So ultimately, there was nobody left to be flown to Rwanda and the flight didn't take off. Now, what's interesting is that at no point was that flight banned. I've seen people saying that, you know, the meddling court shouldn't interfere with, with the policy. The policy wasn't interfered with. The flight could have taken off. It's just that every single person who was supposed to be on it was deemed to be at risk of having their human rights interfered with by being on that flight. Now, what's happened here is the government have effectively created this situation because they've got a policy that they've rushed through that isn't well thought out, that's clearly not being implemented correctly. Um, and so they've left themselves, again, with the issue of last-minute injunction applications having to be made. And, you know, that isn't, that isn't a good way of dealing with things. You know, people have no choice. People aren't being given enough notice and they get enough chance to challenge these things earlier on in the, in the proceedings. And so, of course, the applications are made at the last minute because that's literally the only time they can make these applications. That's the only time they've been allowed to see a lawyer. So, you know, that, that's, 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 that's a clear failing of the system. Now... What the government says, again, they go back to the trafficking gangs, blah, 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 and they talk about safe routes and so on. So like, what else could the government do in this scenario? Well, one thing they could do is actually create some safe routes. There are virtually no safe routes into the country um, for um, refugees and asylum seekers. You know, the, the various schemes are announced, you know, like to deal with like the Af Afghanistan um, uh, refugees and, and Ukraine and so on. They announce these schemes with a huge fanfare. We're going to create all these schemes and then literally nothing happens to to allow these people into the country or very few of the of the target people are allowed in. You know, the, these are effectively just sort of vanity projects, basically. Um, and, and that's the issue, really, is that effectively the government could avoid a lot of this by just letting the Home Office staff get on and do the job properly. But what happens is you get home you get home secretaries, certainly since Theresa May and introduced the hostile environment, that effectively these sort of cruel vanity projects are brought in and, and there's like a, a conveyor belt of, of increasingly sort of evil bastards who become the home secretary, it seems, and, and, and they want to be seen to be tough on immigration. And that's their whole scheme. They don't actually care about the net effects of that on individuals as to whether it's, um, you know, whether it's the right thing for the country or not. They are literally just enforcing these 
sort of strange projects that they want to get through. You know, for example, we left the Dublin 3 regulations, which uh, we were, as, as a consequence of leaving the EU, uh, there was a scheme there which, which allowed for people to be returned to the first EU member state that they'd been processed in, that they'd been effectively picked up in. Um, we left that, which is why we're now having to scrabble around trying to find deals with countries like Rwanda. Um, you know, they were a long, long way away from, from us and effectively sending people back to roughly, you know, to the same part of the world that they've escaped from. Um, and, and, and that's where we are. So they could, for example, apply to rejoin the Dublin, uh, the Dublin regulations, but they won't do any of that because actually none of this is about the law and the lawful processing of people, but it's really um, about sort of a fan, it's a fanfare to say, I am being tough on immigration because that will win me votes within um, certain sections of the of the society and that's all I'm interested in doing. Um, so there are options for the government to uh, uh, to deal with this. Um, and, you know, in my view, the law around asylum should be uncontroversial and just run in the background. People, it should be being done and that's how the law should be about everything. But it's not about that because it's become effectively a wedge issue deployed by the government. Not just this government, but governments across the developed world. You know, the EU are as bad at this um, as we are. Maybe not quite as bad, but still fairly bad um, at it. America are bad at this. You know, kids in cages on the border. In, you know, in the EU, we've got ships patrolling the Mediterranean. We've paid the Libyan government to effectively act, act as like border guards for us. There's people drowning in the sea. It's one huge mess. And while the conversation is accepted that immigration is bad and should be controlled, that seems to be an argument that, that no one has actually had, but it's just an, an assumption. Um, and no one is willing to argue on the basis that immigration is a, is a force for good. Um, and while it's, while it's in those terms that it's a force for bad and needs to be controlled, we will have more and more of these ridiculous and, frankly, cruel policies being enacted by... Um, an increasingly unhinged government. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts on <laughs> on it all. Um, and let's see how it transpires. Uh, what I expect will happen in the future is that between now and July, uh, there will be more and more for any flight that's that's effectively tries to take off. There will be an application on on behalf of virtually every single person um, in that case who have all got immigration claims going on in the UK. Um, there will be an application on their behalf that they personally shouldn't be on that flight. And I would imagine the vast majority will be um, successful of those applications. Um, and it'll just be effectively um, a another, yet another um, waste of public money in on behalf of the government who are just trying to um, issue a dog whistle to, uh, to their supporters. Uh, that's what I think will happen. Then we'll see what happens in July. Um, yeah, so there you go. Not many laughs in it today because I'm on my own. Uh, but there you are. Uh, so that's they're my two pence on this whole issue. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day, everyone, and um, yeah, bye.